For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is a new podcast to the Inside Carolina lineup up in the rafters where 2017 ACC Player of the Year and National Champion Justin Jackson and myself will be talking about all things Carolina basketball. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to Carolina Apparel, they have everything that you could possibly want. The T-Shirts, the jerseys, the hats, you name it, they will probably have it. It's great people and great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. If you're going to be in Chapel Hill, you could visit them in person on Franklin Street. Or if you're not, you could always go online to johnnytshirt.com. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. It's up in the rafters. As always, I'm joined by my guy, Justin Jackson. And Justin... UNC, after the Pittsburgh loss, has responded well with a, a nice little two-game win streak where they pick up that the, uh, the ever so – they're always trying to chase that quad one win this season. They finally get it after, I think it was seven attempts with a win at Virginia Tech, and then they kind of validate that win, beating Louisville at home. What's kind of been your biggest takeaways watching this Carolina basketball team over the past week? Yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, we've been kind of hard on them um, when it comes to some of their losses and things like that. Um, but I think the first thing I got to say, man, I got to give them credit with these last two games. Um, you know, kind of the big thing that I've really hampered on is like the competitive spirit that I've seen from them um, and some of those losses that they've had or the lack of. Um, I mean, these last two games, man, they've been competing. The energy level defensively has been on a different level, um, offensively, uh, making better decisions, executing a little bit better. Um, so it, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely good to see, but it just looks like they're a little more locked in now going down the stretch of these games. Yeah. I think that's been a, a huge point for this Carolina team where it seems like they're starting to put their foot on the gas to finish out the season. And I think everybody kind of thought, this is the Carolina basketball team you would get with the coach like Hubert Davis and taking on his identity and being a, a, uh, a effort and intensity guy. So I think it is good for Carolina fans seeing this team play well down the stretch outside of the, the Duke and the Pittsburgh game. This still is a team that has won, I think like eight of eight of their last 10. And when you, when you have that Saturday to Monday turnaround, we're seeing it more and more as the season kind of goes on. And I, it's something that teams are going to have to be prepared for if you want to play in the tournament. How difficult is it playing these high-level games on a short turnaround with UNC winning on Saturday at VT and then coming back to Chapel Hill winning on Monday? Um, physically, it's a little bit tougher. Uh, you're not really used to playing games that quickly when you're in college. Obviously, you're used to playing, you know, having three or four days in between games. Um, but as a player, you kind of enjoy that. Like, as a player, you just want to play games. Like, practices start getting old after a while. Um, and you're just kind of tired of doing, like, workouts and that kind of stuff. So, 
I'm sure as a player, they're probably loving kind of that short turnaround. Obviously, physically, you have to have, you know, take a little more uh, time to recover with your body, whether it's cold tub, you know, getting treatment, whatever it might be. But I'm sure as a player, they're loving it. Um, so now it's, to be honest, it's probably more of a challenge going from that to all of a sudden now they got to wait until Saturday to play against um, who's NC State coming up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that's more of the challenge as opposed to the other way around. Cause now it's like, man, I'm kind of in a flow now, but now I got to find a way to stay in rhythm kind of throughout these three or four days that we have off until the next game. So I would probably say it's tougher the other way around. After the Louisville game, Hubert Davis, he, he, he's kind of been making a point of emphasis on it this entire season where this UNC team has to be able to validate their wins where UNC gets a massive quad one win. We're still trying to figure out what exactly a quad one win is over here. But UNC gets a massive quad one win for its tournament hopes, and then they do bounce back and kind of stack another another victory at home against Louisville. From a confidence standpoint, how critical is it for the players that after a big-time performance, you're able to again make enough plays in a hard-fought game against a, a quality opponent in Louisville to come out with another win. That's big time. Um, you know, going back to the quad one, bro, I still don't know what like what makes it a quad one win. You know, so if a team beats UNC, is that considered a quad one win? Like, do we know this yet? I think if a team beats UNC at UNC. It's considered quad one. Yeah, there's like – there's – a metric where it's basically like if you're a team that's ranked like one through 30 and you beat them on the road at your at your place it's a quad one win that's why the michigan game has kind of been going back and forth because michigan's kind of right on that like 28 29 30 gotcha and then if if you beat a team um on the road, like Virginia Tech, that's like one through 75. That's a quad one win, too. Okay. So, so okay. the road wins do mean more in, in the quadrants. Gotcha. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, coming off of, you know, like we talked about before, um, Virginia Tech's a tough place to, to win at. So going in there and playing the way they did, winning the way that they did, and then turning around against a team that then they, even though they're struggling with, you know, they got an interim coach, all that kind of stuff. Louisville still was a – they still came and battled, you know. Um, and so I, I think it was a great sign. For me, I'm just going to go – I'm just going to stick on just how much they competed. You know what I mean? Like we've talked about all season how talented they are, um, what they can do whenever they're really locked in and when shots are falling and things like that. Um, but the competitive spirit that they had all game last game um, – was really what impressed me, and I got to give them, I got to give them the credit there. Yeah, and the the thing with Carolina basketball right now, I'm kind of enjoying. I don't want to say I'm enjoying being a team that's or covering a team or watching a team that's on the bubble, but there's something exciting about being on the bubble, where it's like you you start you know throwing down other teams' resumes and being like you know this is why Carolina should be in it. The bubble is. I don't want to say it's a toxic place, but it, it almost gets that feeling where when you're looking at Joe Lenardi's bracket proje projections and you're seeing like the last four in the last four out, and it's really just 
his, his projections are just as good as anybody else's, I think. <laughs> yeah, man. When it comes to the bubble and things like that, I think toxic is the best word because all you hear is, you know, they have these big time wins and then all of a sudden they're like, but they yeah. have these losses and then list all the terrible losses of the different teams and you'll see some games in there that's like, wow, I don't know if they should be on the bubble. Yeah, and then, then you have like the last four in, the last four out. It's yeah. just that's a lot of – it's it's bringing together a lot of fan bases once you start throwing uh, out those graphics. Yeah, I'm glad when I was in school we were never in that situation. For me, it would be nerve-wracking. And obviously for the fans, I know it would be too. So fans, they just got to stick with it. Hopefully they win a few more big games and they don't have to be on that. I remember playing those like NCAA basketball games. And like if my team was never that good, I remember how exciting Selection Sunday was. (laughs) And like seeing your team pop in as a 12 seed and doing a victory lap and then getting getting your doors blown off against the Foxy in the first round because <laughs> the difficulty was probably way too high. <laughs> but um, Carolina back in action on Saturday against NC State. They beat up on NC State really bad where even the final score where Carolina beats them, I think by 20, um, doesn't really reflect how dominant that uh, Carolina was in that game. If you're Carolina, how do you avoid the the complacency that kind of comes with thinking, you know, this is a team that we just beat pretty handily and, you know, you you might have your guard down and then you're kind of opening yourself up for a letdown opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to kind of last week when we talked about like each and every game is extremely important now for UNC. You know, there's really all season there's no time for a let up, but there's really no time for a let up now in any of the games coming up very serious from the standpoint of each and every game um is going on your record now right like when we talk about you're in the bubble um you're four last four in, last four out um it's every single game is going on that resume from here on out you know whether it's a good win or a loss so you lose to nc state might go down as a bad loss. You beat a Duke, that's a good win. You know what I mean? So for them, you know, attack on the fact that it's a rivalry game, there really should be no let up, um, especially having this amount of time of a break to kind of get refreshed, get your body right. Um, so hopefully they have that mindset going into this game. Yeah, and I think the the interesting thing with this Carolina basketball team with, you know, how up and down they've kind of been this season, the fact that they're still tied for third in the ACC and – when you're talking about them being a bubble team, it, it really doesn't matter if this team just goes out and kind of controls its own destiny. If they win these next two games, if, if they beat Duke on uh, next Saturday to close out the regular season, if they make a little run in the ACC tournament where you can't really be thinking of it as you're a bubble team if you're Carolina. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. In the words of Tommy Ashley, we're going to let the national guys pay the bills. And when we get back, we'll be answering a couple questions I got from the premium members at Inside Carolina. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Back at it. Mailbag time. Thanks to any subscribers that sent in questions. First up, for fans that might not know all the X's and O's of basketball and just more so enjoy supporting the the name on the front of the jersey from watching, how would you describe Hubert Davis's preferred style of play and how does that differ from what Roy Williams did? (laughs) I love that question. First of all, whoever asked that question, Thank you so much for admitting that you don't necessarily know the X's and O's or maybe you're talking for another friend or whatever. Um, But I think just the difference between them, um, Coach Williams had a certain system that he ran, right? So everybody knows the secondary break, back screens for the bigs. You had two bigs in there at all times that were posting up. Um, The point guard really basically ran the show. you know, and then defensively it was, okay, we played denied defense, um, we pressure, we trap, kind of that kind of thing. Um, now you look at Coach Davis's uh, system that he kind of has running, which he still has some of the same principles, but you look defensively, they play more of a gap defense. You know, they don't necessarily get out of passing lanes. They don't necessarily pressure as much. Uh, and then offensively, you see a lot more ball screens happening, um, which I think is good for – the type of players that they have, a Caleb Love, an R.J. Davis, uh, Brady Manick setting the screens, um, and even an Armando setting the screens and rolling. Um, so that's kind of the difference. I would say Coach Davis kind of has more of like nowadays you see in, in the NBA and things like that, you see a ton of pick and rolls. You see a ton of, um, you know, pin, pin downs, all that kind of stuff. I think you kind of see Coach Davis bringing a little bit of that to the North Carolina system. Um, but you can still see some of the same plays, back screen for the big, trying to get the ball in the post, um, kind of that kind of stuff. But I think with the team that he has, um, especially having like a Brady who's like more of a stretch four, um, he had to kind of change up the system a little bit and kind of, you know, make it work for the players that are there right now. Kind of going off those lines and working with the personnel you have, um, somebody else asked, in Hubert Davis's offense, what do you think is the most important position to recruit? And then they listed off like a true point guard, a combo guard, an athletic wing, a three-point shooting wing, a four, a uh, stretch four, and then like a true post big. Um, mm-hmm. So where would you kind of rank the inter- uh, the importance in terms of what Coach Davis is trying to do? Yeah, I mean, I think it always starts with kind of the, the head of the snake for me is always the point guard because the point guard is going to be making the most of the decisions in those actions. Um, so I think when you see like when, when UNC plays really well, you see RJ Davis, and you see Caleb Love playing and making decisions um, like on a fly and they make the right decisions, right? They're not, they're not just trying to get theirs. They're looking for the open guy, finding the open man, making the right read. Um, because then after they make their reads, then that's when everybody else comes into play. Um, so I would probably say to start recruiting, I would say um, if you had to, it'd be probably the point guard. I think that's what I've kind of loved saying the last two games is 
RJ and Caleb have, have really made those decisions um, at the right time. Um, they're not pressing. They're not trying to do too much. They're just making the right read. Um, but I think, too, something that's, that's big for a um, system kind of like Coach, Coach Davis, and you're, you're kind of seeing um, the success that he's having as a guy like Brady, like a stretch four, um, somebody that can pick and pop or somebody that can just extend the floor to open up the space for the point guards and, and guys that are trying to get downhill. Um, so I'd probably say those two, those two positions are probably the most important in my eyes um, if you were going to try to recruit. And that's interesting because I, I think from my perspective, I would have thought it would be uh, kind of like the athletic wing type players because when I'm, when I'm watching the NBA and thinking that it's similar to that with all the ball screens, like when I'm watching your guys' games in the NBA, it's like two through five, it's like everybody's switchable. It's just like everybody's like six nine, six ten, can jump out the gym, can shoot. Um, the next question somebody said is, "What is Justin's favorite Hubert Davis story?" Oh, my favorite Hubert Davis story. Oh yeah, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put Marcus out there. Um, my so my that have been my freshman year. Yeah, my freshman year. So it was the year after he went crazy as a sophomore. So it was his, his junior year. Um, my freshman year, he would say it a lot. Coach Davis would say it a lot. But I will never forget, um, I think it was the Iowa game at home where they, they blasted us. It was a green out, and we never saw green shirts ever again in our life. I don't even think we saw any of those green shirts. Um, but we were in the we were in the locker room. It was a bad game for us. We we're in the locker room at halftime. So we're sitting there, and Coach Davis. Everybody goes through, and then Coach Davis comes up. And Coach Davis, if you've ever met Coach Davis, Coach Davis is the nicest person in the world. Um, but when he gets fired up, he starts getting a little louder. Like he 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 doesn't really like he doesn't go at you, but he gets like louder, right? So he starts getting a little louder. And uh, he points at Marcus and all of us are sitting there. He points at Marcus and he's like, that guy right there, he's a pretty good player. He's a pretty good player. I think we should try to get him open. And then he starts basically saying like, we need to start setting screens for him. We need to start getting him loose. All this stuff based around Marcus, right? And we're all sitting there like, bro, we're all playing bad. Like, why are we? But he was so focused on getting Marcus, who at the time was our best offensive player, getting him open and getting looks for him. Um, and so that I will never forget. I give Marcus the, the hard time about that all the time. Like, cause we went out there and I, I kid you not, we were, everybody was literally just looking to set screens for Marcus. We weren't, we weren't trying to score. We weren't trying to do nothing. We were just trying to set screens for Marcus. Um, I don't so know that, how, the, I don't know how the rest of this game is going to go score wise, but I'm going to set some good screens. I'm, I'm going to set a screen. Coach Davis said he's a pretty good player. We need to get him open. So um, that's probably my, my biggest story from coach Davis that kind of ties in perfectly to the, uh, the second half page narrative where he would always go off in the second half. Like you guys, See, might've, you guys might not have been screening enough for him in the first I'm half. Telling you, but, but this is the thing though, Marcus needs to give us partial credit for that narrative yeah. because <laughs> if it wasn't for us setting screens for him in that second half, he wouldn't have gotten off. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. maybe one day he'll give us credit. Yeah. How would you compare 
uh, Armando Baycott's season this year where he has 21 double-doubles and, and counting to this point in Bryce's senior year where Bryce had 23 double-doubles in terms of their style of play and in terms of um, their ability to kind of take over a game? Um, I, I think uh, I think it's, it's hard to necessarily compare their seasons. Armando has been a menace, a menace um, on the boards. I mean, it's, it's, you walk into a game and you literally, you automatically put them down for at least 12, you know? Um, I think Bryce kind of did it in different ways. You know, like Armando, Armando gets a lot of his off of the offensive rebounding, you know, like he doesn't, I wouldn't say that there's a lot of times throughout the game where they just drop the ball off into him. And then he just goes and gets a bucket with Bryce. Bryce would get offensively on offensive rebound or we could drop it in there and his turnaround hook shot or turnaround jump shot was almost automatic, you know? Um, But you also, I also cannot take anything away from Armando and what he's been doing. I mean, you said 21 double doubles. That's, that's impressive. You know, like that's, that's something that you, you, can't take any credit away because that's something he goes out there every single game and he's, you know, he's going to do that. Um, but I think they just did it in different ways. Armando kills people on the offensive glass and usually that's where he gets all his putbacks and all of his looks. Um, Bryce, man, Bryce's hook shot, even though we always give him a hard time, he had one freaking move. Um, his little hook shot was almost, it was, it was money every time. Um, so they just, I think they just do it in different ways. Yeah, he was. I feel like people almost forget like how good Bryce was that last year and that leap he kind of took that his uh, his senior year um, because I remember thinking like when you guys were rolling in the in the tournament you guys played Syracuse in the final four mm-hmm. that was that was my senior year too and that was the least worried I've ever been for a game. <laughs> I, I think I think honestly now that we're past it um and it's no disrespect to Syracuse but we had already played them twice throughout the season and we had handled them pretty pretty easily um I think that was probably the least worried that even we were as a team going into a game which is crazy because it was the final four and they were a good team they were playing well at that time um but yeah I think I think the other difference man is like our team was so good right when Bryce was doing all of this. Now, a lot of that was from Bryce, right? If Bryce wasn't playing as well as he was, I don't think we would be as nearly as good as we were that year. Um, But we were so good that like a lot of the headlines was more about the team and like how well we were playing as opposed to just how good Bryce is playing, you know? Unfortunately with this team, like they've had some bumps in the road and things like that. So some of the only positives at times that they've had is that Armando is, averaging a double double you know so um i think that's why bryce didn't necessarily get the credit that he probably deserved because we were freaking running teams out the gym you know left and right so yeah the other thing with that that 2015 2016 season that i think some people forget is once once syracuse made it to the final four i was like oh what what a relief like see you see in the national championship book the tickets but Syracuse beat Virginia in the Elite Eight, where it's like if Virginia wins that game, 
I'm sweating. I'm sweating yeah. the entire we're time. All, we're all nervous. <laughs> we're all nervous. Virginia so, was never a good matchup. For so, yeah, so it's kind of crazy how you had two polar opposites where Virginia would have been a, a terrible matchup and a really competitive game versus Syracuse and running out that zone and putting Bryce in the short corner and kind of letting him go to work for, for 40 minutes. Uh, the, the last question we had is that um, Greg Barnes from Inside Carolina, he's recently mentioned that the NCAA selection committee is relying less on the eye test and more on analytics and metrics and all those quad one type wins. Based on your experience of playing and scouting other teams, what would you rely on to select deserving NCAA bubble teams? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, analytics and all that kind of stuff, um, I think it definitely should be looked at. Um, but I don't think the eye test should ever be taken away. Um, you know, I think that there is there are certain teams and certain games maybe that they lose um, where it was just a bad game right? Like they just didn't hit any shots or the other team shot the, shot the crap out of the ball, you know? Um, so I think from that standpoint, I think the eye test is something that should still be used because at the end of the day, if you're only going off of, you might have a team that had, that beat the number one team once or twice, right? But then they lose to a team that's like mid-major, you know what I mean? So it's like, I think that they both need to be used um, obviously when you look at stats and things like that, they never lie. Um, so those things definitely need to be looked at the big wins and the big bad losses need to be looked at. But I think when you're really looking at a team, you have to really see what the team is made up of, um, and kind of when they've played really well or when they've played, I guess I would say decent kind of what they look like as a team. Um, but I mean, that, that would be a hard, that'd be hard to be on that committee, man. Like I, I, I would not want to be, a part of that committee, at least not known to be on that committee. Yeah. Um, Cause that would be, that'd be a difficult, difficult situation. Yeah. Not only are you keeping teams out that really would like to play in the NCAA tournament, but if people know you're on that committee, fans are going to be coming after you. Coming after you. Coming <laughs> after. I don't want, I don't want any problems. <laughs> so, so post playing career. No, no, no I won't be on one. At least yeah. I'm saying that right now to hopefully if I am on it, then nobody knows that I am. <laughs> I will not be on the committee. <laughs> All right. That's this week's show. UNC at NC State tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern time from Raleigh, North Carolina. And we have that same turnaround again with UNC back home Monday against Syracuse. We'll be back next week to break it all down as well as preview Carolina's final regular season game at Duke, Coach K's last game in Cameron Indoor. Justin, always appreciate the time. Always a pleasure, man.